Hey, it's Paul. And Shamina. And welcome to Head Boss in Charge. Welcome back. Hey, hey. How you bossing? Um, you know, I'm pretty good, actually. Um, I don't know why I put the qualifier of actually on there. I'm good. Um, oh. <laughs> I have kind of taken a, made a, a pivot turn in terms of like the stresses and whatnot with work um, and have had a few, I don't want to say epiphanies because that sounds so grand and I don't think that they are, they don't feel that grand. They just are a realization that they, I don't get paid to be, to take home this level of stress. Like there's no additional compensation, recognition, good feeling about that. And so, well, I certainly have still stress and whatnot. Um, I've really been focusing my mind on pivoting away from that and thinking about like my life because it's so much bigger than what I do for my job. So in that sense, things have been, so it's really lightened up probably the last week and a half to be real honest of doing stuff at work and being like, okay, all right. I may have mistakenly slipped up the other day and been like, I don't care. Oh. <laughs> it's like, did I say that out loud or was I thinking that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally said that out loud because I saw, I didn't say it to a supervisor or anyone with any sort of positional power, um, which probably sounds shady, but I'm pretty sure that person doesn't listen. Uh, but I was like, okay, I don't care. I'll do that. That's fine. And then they just looked at me like, did you, do you really not care? And then they were like, do you really not care? And I was like, no, I don't. So... I was like, okay, take care. And then I left the conversation because then it was it was over from my vantage point. So that has felt good. Been in a new workout routine with my trainer. So my shoulders are wickedly sore. I feel like I'm hunching because um, he was trying to try some new stuff. Had me jumping over benches and shit, literally. Um, and then, yeah, things have been pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I could complain, but that's not, that's going to get me nowhere. And I don't really have any complaints at present. Um, you'll hear some of my complaints in the, um, the head boss, head bitch stuff, but yes, I will say that sure. I have a few notes here. Um, so yeah. How you bossing? Uh, I don't know. Last week was a weird week. Um, <laughs> you know, when you talked about the whole stress and work, uh, you know, not getting paid enough for this, I saw this, it could have been from you. I saw this meme or this picture that says, um, dot, 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 uh, pouring blood and sweat into a job that does not, that will drop you in a quick second as soon as you die. <laughs> um, so what's the point in, you don't yeah. get enough of this shit. So I saw that and it quickly got me together. Yeah. I try to ingrain that <laughs> in my head every day. And, you know, stress sometimes manifests itself into sickness and whatnot. And so towards the end of the week, I wasn't really feeling too hot. Um, but, uh, I had an interesting, um, experience last week with jury duty. I was on call for jury duty. Mm. First time in California in my six years of living here. This was my first summons. I've managed to get away from it until now. And I was called in on Wednesday and unfortunately I was only there for two hours. I was deferred. I wasn't dismissed. Um, and it was for this huge, huge case um, in San Francisco. Um, do you remember about like two years ago? Now don't go getting in trouble. 
um, by talking about it in detail. <laughs> I, I'm not in it. I'm not in it anymore. I'm not a juror, so I can talk about it. But actually, that was the whole point of the meeting was that this case is at, is getting is so big. The uh, the judge was like, this is getting as much media attention as the OJ case. So there was a woman who got shot on one of the piers uh, by an undocumented immigrant. Oh, yeah, this was from like a few, maybe last year or something like that. Yeah, I think it was in 2015 or 2016. Okay. Um, and so it started this whole discussion about like sanctuary cities, immigration, mm-hmm. DACA, all that stuff. Um, it triggered a nas- nationwide conversation. So um, I read this um, SF article where, because this case is so big and everyone already has an opinion on it, they sent out about a thousand jury, uh, jury notices mm. to the city of and county of San Francisco. Um, and so I was on Wednesday and the judge, he was very nice. He was kind of funny. And he was just going through the whole process. He said, if you get selected, your life will change. And he's mm-hmm. like, I, I'm, I, I don't want you to be affected the same way as the jurors in the OJ case. So I'm doing everything in my power to maintain it, to maintain your privacy. But he said, this case is going to go until December. It's a two-month-long case. Um, and yeah, your life will change. And so I was like, okay. I was looking through my phone. <laughs> Any excuse I could come up with? like, I am not going to be out of work for two months. And I'm a black person. And I know these, uh, defend- uh, these uh, prosecutors and defendants love getting people of color and trying to keep them, you know, um, on the case, especially since the defendant is um, an immigrant. So um, I actually was able to find a good excuse, but it wasn't good enough to completely be dismissed from jury duty. So mm. I come back in January um, to be on call. So Okay, for a different case. For a different case. Okay. So it, it was just really interesting just being part of that, that process and um, it's a landmark case. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just felt like I was in an episode of The Good Wife all of a sudden. <laughs> really? Did you, were you at the courthouse that like the shitty one on Bryant Street or the real nice one at Civic Center? At the Bryant Street one. Mm, right. That place is also really confusing. I was like, I don't know where I'm going. There are so yeah. many courtrooms. Uh, but yeah, it, it was just, even though I got deferred, it was still nice to kind of learn about it and go through the process. Yeah. I got def- I think I postponed once, or actually I wasn't selected once, and then I got to postpone, not postpone, I got, I didn't have to go, I wasn't like a, um, an alternate or anything, because I was like, they're like, this is going to take at least the next 12 weeks, um, so if you have anything, let, um, write that down on like the, the little paper that you fill out, because there was some sort of like pre-questionnaire that they could sift through, and they were eliminating people through that, and I was like, well, I'm getting married in three weeks and it's on a Monday and it's downtown. And they're like, okay, dismissed. I was like, okay, great. Like, um, a benefit of getting married. Um, but anyway. <laughs> You're right. Um, but now I need to come up, try to, uh, <laughs> come plan up. a trip, plan a trip. Yeah. I need to plan a trip. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the reasons. And because it's over the holidays, um, I didn't have any prepaid flights yet. Mm. <laughs> that was an excuse. So I used my, um, my, my show, um, my stage production that I'm in for all of November. Um, and so I got deferred. All right. So yeah, okay. um, 
Um, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? I feel like we are in a significantly better mood and space than the last show, which feels good. So this um, episode, we're going to talk about a few things, um, but we're going to start talking about, um, there was this uh, video, like seven second video, maybe it was a Vine, I don't know. Um, Paul, if you recall that I sent you, and it was, um, the, the title of the video was called Stay in Your Lane. And so it was like a church video and somebody was, I'm not even going to sing because I'm not a singer, so let's not pretend that. Um, but <laughs> she was like, stay in your lane, stop swerving. Um, and the choir was like, stop swerving. Um, and of course they did like a cute, like, I was going to say a geriatric, like choir move, but you know what I mean? Um, and so that got me to think about like staying in your lane. So, um, since primarily what we talk about is career, we can delve this into like the, the friend side of it as well. And like regular relationships outside of work. But, um, Paul, I know you said you have, um, some thoughts on that immediately when I sent that to you. So if, if you were to define what staying in your lane means, what, how would you kind of uh, share that with somebody else, staying in your lane? Yeah, a couple things come to mind. Um, I think about, <laughs> this is going to turn into the people who do. Mm, hey. um, people who have an opinion on everything, who have to chime in on every single statement, every single topic, even on things where, like, let's say your job is specialized, <laughs> and you don't even have, um, uh, like, expert, true trained expertise into that aspect of the problem that we're mm. trying to solve, but you still mm. have an opinion anyway. And mind you, you could be very smart. You could be, like, I, there are some intelligent people out there who have, who know a little bit about everything. Like, they could be on Jeopardy, <laughs> like, in right. way. They just know a lot of random facts. But whether that's in a work setting or in a friend group, uh, just because you know something doesn't mean you always have to say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, do yeah. you want to respond to that? I have another side to that, too. Um, well, no, you say your side, and then I'll just say how I define it. Because for me, it's, um, it's pretty simple, I think. But go ahead, finish your second, your second thought. So that's like one group of like the whole staying, uh, group of thoughts and the staying in your lane topic. The other side of that is, I think, you know, I, I, there's this thing that we call at work called job creep. Yeah, uh, you mentioned like, that. And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> it, it's a new term. Like, it's just something internal that we use at my work because we're a small organization. And as, as a result, even though we have roles, uh, we tend to be generalists. So we kind of tap into... Um, some other areas outside of a job, as it's described in our job description. Um, but I think there's uh, this push and pull of being voluntold to do things, like people just expect you to do certain work, or uh, maybe people are going into your job and doing things for you or unauthorized. Mm. Um, like people just don't know where the boundaries are in their job. So uh, the whole job creep is just the, the lines are, are blurred between individual roles. Okay. 
that I makes can sense. Give more specific examples later, but yeah. Um, well, I I can see it in both of those ways. I also see it as people like just not generally minding their own business. Um, like I said before, like in the as we were talking about how we're bossing, like there's a I don't get um, any additional compensation. I may get a kudos or something for getting up in somebody else's job. Um, but my role is to stay in my lane and execute the things. And I guess to be more of, in previous roles, I've been more of a generalist kind of like I've had to do a little bit of everything or learn how to do a bunch of different things. Um, but in this, I'm kind of tasked with doing, and I'd say probably about 70% of my job I'm tasked with doing a very specialized, I am the person on campus who can administer this particular process um, as outlined by our, you know, governing by the chancellor's office. So my job is to do X, Y, and Z. So if I'm worried about getting over here and over here and over there and getting in somebody else's business, then I inherently can't focus on my own lane. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And like I said, I don't get any compensa additional compensation in terms of money, uh, in terms of money, um, for getting in somebody else's lane. So, yeah, that's kind of how I see um, an ability to mind my own business and to move my projects forward. Caveat with that, that doesn't mean that I don't and can't contribute to projects that like involve a variety of departments and moving things collectively forward as a unit or a sub-cabinet area. Um, but I have to remember what my primary role is and it's not to be worried about what um, John is doing over in XYZ that don't have nothing to do with me or my program. And if he or she or that person doesn't ask, then let me go ahead and stay out of my lane. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, how do you respond if someone tries to get in your lane? <laughs> if, if people can see the recording of this, their eyes roll, like insert significant eye roll. How do I respond? Uh, in a work <laughs> setting, I just have to think about it. In a work setting, like I, I just, I don't really have an aggressive enough personality. And most of the time it's not the right space to interrupt or say something in the moment. I'm the type of person um, where something might go by me and it takes me a while to process and, and realize, wait, did they just <laughs> but I think they just did. Like, we've even talked about this in terms of like the uh, trapped in the dark place or the sunken place where mm -hmm. it's just like, I can't say anything or do anything right now. It's, it's very similar to that. So whether it's in a meeting, a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, a workshop, whatever it is. I, it takes me some time to process. I'll um, meet with the person afterwards, after I've gathered my thoughts and address um, my perspective of the situation, or even just ask, because uh, maybe they didn't even realize they did that, instead of me just assuming that they were trying to <laughs> attack me or mm -hmm. uh, uh, push me out of my lane. So, it's easier to do this with my employees because um, I think sometimes my employees have best intentions uh, and they, they're, they're in this state of like, I want to help. I want to, you know, I just want to say something for, on behalf of the group. Uh, peers, it's a little bit more difficult, you know, especially peers who have been there longer than me. But uh, I think as long as you build that positive rapport and good relationship uh, from the beginning, then it's easier to address those things as they come. 
You know, a friend of mine used to say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So, um, which I always, I, <laughs> like, I have to think about that for a minute. Um, the people are like, well, I intended for this. I was like, okay, and we go into hell in a handbasket fast, um, and I'm going to jump out. Um, you know, I have certainly had people do this, and I've found myself doing it, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and I have thought of, like, how do I respond, like, in the moment? Because I am a, I can get uncomfortable, number one, for other people. I get uncomfortable for other people a lot. Um, if they say something that's wayward, for lack of a better term, and then we just sit there awkwardly and it's quiet. Um, but I also kind of, like, I can get uncomfortable for myself in terms of, like, if someone's trying to insert or, like, get in my lane and essentially tell me what to do and how to do my job when they know maybe a sliver of what I do where they see me in this, like, 5% capacity and there's 95% of things that go into, like, that decision or that act. Mm-hmm. Um, so lately, and someone has been trying to do this lately, and I'll say, thank you so much, I'll take that, you know, I'll consider that and take that under advisement. And then I move on. Um, I may or may not talk to the person um, about that specific thing. Because um, usually I found that those end up being longer conversations than, because then I have to explain all of the things that led up to that decision or that practice or all of the like mitigating factors of why we have to go about it like X, Y, and Z. And sometimes I just don't have time for that. Go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say anything. Oh. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, yeah, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, so I tend to avoid those, especially if, like, that person has to have, like, a credibility already. Mm. Like, if you, if I'm aware or I see that you are not bringing all of your best stuff to your role, but then you want to try to step in my lane and either do my job or tell me how to do it, what to do, when to do, I'm already like, what are you doing? Because you're not doing your job and you're trying to do mine. And so this is not working out at all. So. <laughs> Have you ever stepped into a new role and realized in hindsight that maybe there were some things that, I don't know, or let me rephrase the question. Um, I, I, I could see easily that a new employee could, who doesn't really know the job or the environment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what's on paper, but culturally, uh, sometimes that defines the job for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can sometimes see organizations taking advantage of new people and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not staying in their lane and they're pretty much telling you how they would like you to do the job mm-hmm. versus what you were actually hired to do. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever experienced that in hindsight in a new role? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I've had the benefit of being in two roles, one that I helped create and another one that I kind of got to reshape and reform. I thought I was helping create like a role, right? But then the person who was guiding and kind of got everything approved had a very specific vision of what they wanted to do, but were trying to like, like nudge me into like thinking in their way, in their, in their approach of what they actually wanted rather than letting me kind of figure it out and like mm-hmm. make the position my own. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't you just write all this shit in the, the description anyway? If this is everything that you wanted, you should have just wrote it in there. Like, don't try to coax me into like 
making me think it's a good idea. And I'm like, <laughs> right. But yes, I have absolutely done that. You know, that when you were saying that, um, right after you said that, I thought like of those times when um, you take on a new role, right? And the person who was last in that role is still there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they want to be quote unquote helpful. And I have been guilty of this too. But then I get really, I can get really hands off and be like, well, you let me know what you want if you want some help, because I don't want to get all up in how you're trying to figure this out. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I wish, like, I prefer taking on a role when the person has gone and is no longer there and doesn't try to, like, influence or get me to finish what they didn't finish or finish what they had started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, you should have just finished it rather than moving on. Have you been in a, a position like that, like, where your the predecessor was still at your organization? Uh, yeah, I think, oh, yeah, I have. Uh, I was just trying to think of the frequency, but yes, but it's been pretty hands-off. Um, oh, that's great. They would help when I, I would ask for it, you know? Okay. Yeah. So they didn't come in and try to insert all of the stuff that they didn't finish that you, sh- that you need to pick up or that you need to learn. So <laughs> insert, like if you were trying to do all these things, you should have done them while you were in the role. Thanks. Um, how do you respond if you realize that you're getting in somebody's lane? Mm. Um, I would hope <laughs> that, it, <laughs> that I'm, I'm really respectful. I, I think I'm not perfect. And I have, um, you know, I have a desire for a really good outcome. And if I feel like, oh, maybe I could steer this person and, um, you know, I have a stake in this outcome too. So maybe I can steer this person the right way. <laughs> and they might, they might they not be receptive to that. So if they say something to me, I have to respect the fact that they brought something up and listen to them. And if they say, say that, say out of my business, then I will. And if, if you go down burning in hell, then it's your fault, not mine. So. <laughs> You're like, I offered. I offered, so I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I just hope that I would react in a good way. I, I'm trying to think of a, a prior example. I don't think one has happened recently, but it's definitely happened before where someone has told me, you know, mm-hmm. stay in your lane. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I'll let you know if I have any questions. Um, it's so funny. This is a slight tangent. Um, last, uh, last night I was in Banana Republic, right? This is no, anywho, I probably shouldn't have said the name of the place I was at. Who cares? There's a bunch of them in San Francisco. Um, and I was getting some shirts, right? Cause they were having a 40% off sale. So, um, life hack 40% off, off of the sale price. Um, so I was looking at some shirts or whatever, and then Sky kept coming up to me and he's like, do you need any help? And I was like, no, I'm good. Thank you. Um, and then I would like bend down to like, look at the shirts and he was like, is there a size that I can get for you? And finally I was like, no, if I need your help, I will find you insert name on name tag. But I was like, can you stay in your lane? Can you stop bothering me? Um, and it didn't help. Um, and I was so angry when, when, uh, I first walked in, there was a man of color who was sitting on like just outside the store with police already in handcuffs with a bag uh and i was like 
first of all, like, why? And second, I was like, I realized that this person may have just come out of your store. They had a bag from a Banana Republic bag. And I was like, please don't overlay, like, whatever shit you experienced with this person on me. So if you could stop following me around, literally. And I was like, y'all must not have enough to do. I'm not the only person in this fucking store. Please stop. Anywho. Uh, but an example of stay in your lane. I was like, I will let you know if I need anything. I'm fine now. And I thought that was an important piece of information to share with that person's supervisor. So yeah. I did that. I said, he was following me around and it was, I said it was frustrating. And I, I finally let him know in a firm and clear voice, I would let him know if I needed anything. <laughs> She's like, I'm so sorry. I'll give him that feedback. I, I apologize. I'm like, Thank you. Um, the apology is not letting him do that again to anybody else because it's not helpful. Um, I just thought of a, a, just a quick little story of someone actually who was telling me to stay in my lane. It was uh, with a couple of my buddies, like we hang out all the time and uh, you know, we're just having drinks and I forgot what the topic of the conversation was, but sometimes like someone will pose a question to the group but in this instance he was posing a question to a specific person in the group and i still answered because <laughs> <laughs> i had an opinion on it and he this was the first time he actually held me accountable for something he like pretty much told me like i was asking so and so like he like <laughs> with an attitude i was asking so and so and you know i'm just like oh, did you drink i'm like oh oh okay <laughs> I just like <laughs> that up. And <laughs> because I, I sometimes I like will answer on behalf of someone. <laughs> but, that's essentially why he was saying I was asking so and so. You don't need I don't need to know uh your opinion. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like times like in friendships. Cause, so this certainly shows up in work, but like in regular relationships of times where I and I do, I have an opinion, I'm a Virgo, number one. Um, so I have opinions on, like most people, um, and I know Virgo's the best because I am one, um, on everything. And most things I don't say. Um, but sometimes I have to, like I'll be, somebody will ask a question or they'll tell a story and I'll be like, mm, anecdote, here's, an, here's a response or here's, a, here's like four different ways of which you could respond in the future should this come up. So I've already thought through all of that. Um, but sometimes I have to pause myself and be like, well, do you, do you need me to just listen? Do you want me to chime in? Do you want to have a dialogue? Or are you just looking for an answer? Um, because I can, I'm happy to be supportive, but that's because I probably have, I can't think of a specific, a specific occasion, but I've probably been clipped somewhere by someone who was like, I didn't need that. I wasn't asking for that. I just needed you to listen. Mm. So I have to be mindful of like making sure if they don't like immediately invite me to respond, but I'll be like, so do you want, I'm happy to just listen and you can vent and get all the shit out. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to like, when you stop talking, change the subjects. So now it's over. Let me know. So, so I've had, I found myself having to do that with friends because I immediately want to go into like problem solving, troubleshooting. And they're like, bitch, I just listen. <laughs> just tell me you hear me. And I'm like, okay. Right. okay, I have to work hard at that. So that is fine. Um, let's see. Any advice for, um, I'm looking at my notes here. I don't know. I must have been tired when I wrote this. Um, do you have any advice for the lane hogs, um, <laughs> or people who take up more than their own lane? 
or based on your experience or things that you've learned? So some nuggets for the people. Hmm. Well, I think people should use their lane signals. because <laughs> People are getting tickets out here for not turning on their lane signals. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, I guess in a work setting, I think checking in, I think it's always good to check in with whoever you, um, trust as that person to give you feedback. Um, mm -hmm. if you're proactive and you check in with either a supervisor or whoever you trust on, um, like how you behave in certain group environments or certain meeting environments. Um, and then they will let you know, um, because I think sometimes it's hard to uh, step out outside of ourselves and have that, you know, 50 feet above vantage point. I think checking in, seeing how you're doing um, to see if you're staying in your own lane. Um, I think there are some things you can do in the moment to make to see if you can step into the other lane. So what, let's say you're about to raise your hands and you could actually add a quick qualifier at the beginning of a statement saying, um, is, is it okay if I step in? Um, I, I would like mm -hmm. to piggyback off of this person or if, and then that person will say yes or no. Um, Cause usually there's a facilitator, maybe a moderator in those kind of conversations. Um, but see if you can add that quick qualifier and say, hey, I'm, stepping in a little bit can you can can i give this opinion on this matter mm -hmm. um yeah those are my two that's a really good one um i mine was going to be like doing a quick check-in at the beginning like of a so like in a work setting if somebody wants to bring up a topic and just clarifying are you looking for feedback are you looking for how we would do it are you trying to just kind of brainstorm the idea, tell us what you're looking for so that we can respond. So in a similar fashion, I'm doing a bit of a check-in at the beginning to see what folks are looking for in terms of um, a response. Um, I would say if I am a person who is, someone is stepping in my lane, I think this has to muster up some, uh, for me, brave and strong and patience and checking in with the person like after a meeting or whatever to see if, there was something I'm missing or did they have some sort of like unique information to share? Um, and then to just clearly let them know, like if you have questions that you will reach out to them. Um, but you're welcome. Like if you have notes or anything, you can email those over to me, you know, I'll take a look at them. And as I'm moving forward and consider that, um, and sometimes you consider sometimes I say that and I sometimes open it and close it and I'm like, I'm good. I've considered. No, thank you. Um, but it may give that person a like, oh, I did something good or, I, you know, I was helpful in this area. Um, I would say I should, I think of this, there's a, a I don't want to say a balance because it's not 50-50, but there's kind of a tension between I should be so focused on what I am doing and moving my job and my role and the people that I work with forward and propelling us all forward that I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have time to be up in everybody else's lane. So. I have to kind of do a self check and it was like, if I feel like I'm getting in someone's business or lane or something, what am I not doing in my own role that gives me time to get all up in somebody else's stuff? Right. Okay. So, cause that's usually like, I'm not busy enough and I'm not moving the things that I'm supposed to move forward. If I have all the time in the world to be like, Oh, let me dig in this and let me do this and that instead of letting people grow and do things on their own. Right. Um, and they'll be brave enough to ask for help when they need it or they'll struggle. 
So one or the other. Those who fall will get up. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay, Diane McClurkin. We fall down. <laughs> um. <laughs> the things that made the references that you come up with are hilarious. Uh, my mind is ridiculous. So there's that. Um, so that's all that I have for this one. But I think that's some good advice for the folks that think about if they are um, even one time or habitual lane crossers, um, or they find themselves people crossing their lanes without signaling. Right. All right. Uh, we will take a break and we'll be right back. So we are going to, um, every now and again, we do something new, some sort of a game. And it's usually Paul that has the game, but I was feeling 6% creative this week. And so I have a quick game. Um, I totally just made it up, but I'm calling it for the culture. Um, I don't really get fully what that means. And I see the kids say it these days, like, we're doing it for the culture. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I've never heard that before. <laughs> really? We're doing it for the culture? Yeah. Who says that? <laughs> I don't know. My nephews say it, and they're in their, like, early 20s, and one is 16. So we like, auntie, do it for the culture. And I'll be like, what are you talking about? That's clearly where uh, the generation divides. Yeah. I have no idea. So essentially, this is what I came up with. So I'm going to give you a list of kind of categories, and you're going to have to respond. So, shit, I'm trying not to give it away. But, like, for the first one. Essentially, what would you leave behind for the culture? So the next generation of people, so that they would get a sense of what this generation was about. Okay? Okay. So we'll try the first one and see if you get it. So basically, for the culture, what movie would you leave behind for the next generation to get a sense of what this generation was about? (laughs) That's a good one. I would leave behind... Oh, wait, 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 wait. I was behind. I'm caught between um, Moonlight and Hidden Figures. Ooh. Um, Because I'm going to go with Moonlight because it's the first Black movie to win an Oscar. So it's less about the content of the film, but how, you know, we've been, you know, fighting for the whole, like, Black representation at award ceremonies for, like, years but more specifically in the past like five years we've been really like loud about it and the fact mm-hmm. that they won best picture um that's going to set precedence for the future okay um all lies i'm going to chime in on some of these um because my immediate one is not a movie that was in theaters but it was 13th um oh yeah the uh, documentary by ava duvernay um previous hbic um just because I think there's things to be learned in that because somehow we continue to repeat history and it would be nice if there were could, people could historically see back um, on shit that this country, insert what this country means, um, and roles that people have played so that we don't repeat those things. And even people who have um, reformed or changed their vantage or their um, stance on the prison industry, et cetera. So I think that is, that has a lot to um, give to the next generation. Um, so let's see, for the culture, TV shows, 
Preferably one TV show. Just one. Hmm. I watch a lot of TV shows. Um. And I can go first if you want me to. Yeah, you go first. On this Mind you, I've had a chance to think about some of these. Yeah. Um, so I thought of uh, Girlfriends. Okay. Because that's one of the first shows that I saw um, that there were, it was black cast, except for Todd when he came on as Tony's husband, um, that were a mix of like bougie and kind of hood but it wasn't like this dividing thing. So if you look at Maya, who was the kind of hood one until she wrote the book, and even when she wrote the book, um, Oh Hell Yes, um, they moved out into like basically the start of gentrifying an area. But then you also had um, black women who were into yoga, who were eating sushi, <laughs> who were doing all these things that you didn't normally see black people taken a part of. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hate to say this, but it kind of, I think, for people to see it, it normalizes that we weren't, we are not one dimensional. Like we can be more than one thing at a time. So, and I love Tracy Ellis Ross. Of course. Um, I think I would have to choose um, Insecure. Okay. I, I, Makes absolute sense. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so recent and I want to choose something a little bit older, but I mean, Insecure is kind of already touching the, uh, the generation that is coming up right now. But um, it's, I think it's the first of its kind um, for me personally, um, with this age group, it's those late 20s, early 30 something people. Um, and it's all black cast, but it, it's so current and it's dealing with issues that have not been raised in former black comedies, right? Mm -hmm. It's just really real, um, unapologetic, and it's giving permission for the next generation to bring up other things that may be taboo in the black community or black relationships. Um, yeah. Okay, nice. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of which of these other ones because I'm not sure. If the, um, I say uh, cities. So, what city would you leave behind for the culture and say this is a must visit? Oh, whatever Trump leaves behind. <laughs> so nothing. <laughs> nothing. A uh, city that I would leave behind. Low key, uh, I was like North Korea is going to be left, but that's not funny. <laughs> I'm hoping that we make I it was through. Not laughing. No, me neither that was pain that was pain that was not laughter but yeah um a city i would leave behind uh because it's fresh on my mind i recently visited there um would be berlin okay because i think berlin is one of the few cities in our world right now and obviously this is a biased opinion i haven't been everywhere but um mm -hmm. i would like to say it's part of this list of cities where uh this this is how you come back <laughs> this is how you were in such a like you know germany represented like we we know the holocaust we know the story um but i think berlin is the true melting pot of the world um more mm. of a melting pot than new york more of a melting pot than london i from like the culture the food in the entertainment yes but i just really appreciate how 
they are really opening their doors and using this as a way to um, uh, look for forgiveness on what they, what the tragedy that they caused, you know, many years ago. And I think I would desire all our cities to be that way, but they're not, especially in the U.S. They're still closing their doors. They're still being really racist. They're still doing whatever. Um, I just think Berlin has a good model of uh, coming from something very negative in the past. And this is how you, um, you know, seek reparations. This is how you move forward. And they're still moving forward. They still have a long way to go. But it was very refreshing to be there and just see how accepting they were of many different cultures from Europe, Eastern Europe, Middle East, Asia. Okay. It, it's, just, it's just very, um, uh, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am stuck between two cities and they are, uh, I'm kind of between three. So I would say um, I really loved my time in Bangkok which was fantastic. I didn't understand 90% of what people were saying, but folks were really friendly. Stuff was inexpensive. Um, and it was, it was just a, a neat, cool experience to be somewhere where you don't speak the language. And I didn't speak, I didn't, uh, I don't speak Thai, um, but still be able to navigate maneuver. Um, and there was such a, I think for the good and the bad, there was such a, a dichotomy of experiences. Like one street would have like nice houses and temples and then other street would be like, it looked like the hood times 10 for lack of a better word, but then the, that folks could coexist in those spaces. And it really wasn't, it didn't seem to be a thing. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that. And there's just generally a lot of culture there. Um, it was gorgeous. It was hot as balls. Um, but I think there was so many different types of cuisine. Um, they are uh, in the city. We were super like um, LGBT friendly, trans friendly. Um, the tour guides that we interacted with and met with were talking about like the fact that folks come here for um, gender reassignment surgery, which is what they call it. They called it something slightly different, um, and that it's not a big thing. Um, it wasn't like this like life-changing thing for the people who live there. It was just like, these are who people are. Um, and then I'm at New York because I love New York. I think um, there's just such a grit um, and a stick to itness that is required of people who live in New York. And this is only after having visited like four or five times, like there's just something about that city. Um, I don't know about the, the, it never sleeps shit cause I sleep, but there's just something about it that is so appealing and, there's so many different types of people there. There's so much culture there that um, I think continues to be untapped. Um, and I do think if people can make it there, um, there's, there's not much that they won't be able to do or kind of move past. Um, and the last one is super relaxing, but, um, and it's not a city, cause I can't think of the city that was there, but Maui. Um, uh, one of the Hawaiian islands, it's just so calm. Um, and I think it'd be great for people to see that the United States is not all about like the extreme hustle and bustle of everything, trying to get ahead, stepping on people's necks to do um, what they want or what they think they want or need. It was just so relaxing and gorgeous. Um, everything costs more there because they have to ship it in from the mainland. 
So I will never forget a pack of, when I was eating meat, a pack of turkey bacon, like the, just like even the store brand was like eight damn dollars. Whoa. I kid you not. I kid you not. It was so expensive. Um, uh, not everything was that expensive, but I was like, it's turkey bacon though. It's just turkey bacon. It's not like lamb's bacon, if that's a thing. Like <laughs> it's turkey bacon, it's regular. Um, but it was just, it was so relaxing and so beautiful. And there was a lot of land that was untouched because the folks there really honor and respect the land that was there and weren't trying to like put high rises everywhere. So I think in that sense, people were really respectful of the culture um, that existed there and they honor that. And they, they're not swayed by the dollar sign of people coming in and being like, we're going to build and da, 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 da. So um, I think that was fantastic. Um, let's see a few more. Let's see uh, for the culture. Fashion statements. <laughs> I think everything should go. Like, once we've done it, we don't come back to it. I'm just kidding. Oh, gosh. Fashion statements. <laughs> um, I would say a couple things. Um, Converse. I think okay. we'll never uh, die. Uh, I think, the, yeah, I just love Converse. Um, let's see. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me. Um, well, it's also weird to kind of think of something because I think we're like '90s fashion is resurfacing mm-hmm. in a way, especially with the kids. Um. Uh, oh, I guess one thing that, uh, it's less of a piece of clothing. It's more of a look Mm -hmm. and it's been going on for years, but, um, so I think you remember the term metrosexual, Yes, (laughs) like the two thousands when, you know, men that cleaned themselves up, but weren't gay metrosexual. Well, I don't want that to go away. I want like men to like, you know, care about how they look and have, you know, good, you know, a good sense of style and image and there's a particular hairdo that um a lot of men do where it's kind of it's it's it kind of reminds me of like the 1950s um uh where it's like their hair is shaved down on the sides right Mm -hmm. and they have a little hair on the top and it kind of just like does a little swoop or a little poof at the top okay that's what they use to style like they don't keep any really hair on the sides um, it's, it's like very Elvis Presley, very, uh, oh, okay. Okay. uh, very, uh, grease. Um, and we've gone through several iterations of that since then, but it seems like, it seems to be the do that works. And I mm-hmm. like it. I think it looks good on people. I can't do it for myself. But, <laughs> um, I think that's like a fashion hair statement, um, that we can leave for the culture and still keep doing and converse. Okay. You're like, and converse, don't forget. Um, <laughs> There are two things, because my first thought was like hair in terms of a statement, not necessarily a fashion or a, like put something that you put on your hair, but I want to leave behind that um, as a person who, I think I'm just beyond a year, a a few months beyond a year of of, uh, cutting all my hair. And so I think that has been so liberating. And um, I remember for a really long time why I didn't do it because I thought I might have a funny shaped head that would look like a pack of hot dogs on the back or something like that. So I didn't do it because I was like, I don't know how it's shaped under there. Like, 
what if it's a mess when you get it? Like once I uncover it, like, am I going to wear hats for the next until it grows down? <laughs> Those, these are real life thoughts. Yeah. Um, but I think that if, if people can manage it, I think it's a great thing to try, even if you only do it once and to see how your head looks like when it's shaved. I have loved it. Slash Sanaa Lathan is still slaying with a bald head. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing that I think, um, I'm going to say bow ties. Um, and, I, and I think not everybody can pull off a bow tie. So if you have a lot of neck, it sometimes can look squished or look like you're choking if you have a bow tie on. Um, but I think the bow tie um, is something that, and it's, it's come back like kind of a resurgence. I'd say maybe last year, year before, and it's kind of died down a little bit. Um, but I would love to see that be a part of like everyday wear, to be honest. Um, for a lot of people, men, women, folks who are gender nonconforming, I think it can work in a lot of different varieties. Um, let's go one more. Um, let's see, music artist for the culture. Beyonce, obviously. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quick snippet as to why. Um, I don't question it. <laughs> right, like how dare you? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, actually, I have a, a few more, um, a couple more. So Beyonce, I, I think uh, she, besides being an awesome performer and vocalist, uh, I think she's redefining art, how to release music, what's considered an album. Now she's she's coming out with projects, um, mm -hmm. and I love that. Right, like she. Uh, is redefining um, the traditional way of selling music in mainstream culture. Uh, and now all these youngins are following the same, you know, mm -hmm. step in line, step in line. Fall in line. Uh, and then uh, other artists, I think, um, I'm, I mean, well, no, that's too easy. <laughs> no, do it, do it. No, Michael Jackson, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I hope the next generation still listens to him and knows who he is and knows his music videos. Um, because you and I were alive when he was alive. Yeah. He's iconic. He always will be. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then um, I would also have to say, no, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't want to be controversial. controversial. <laughs> oh, my God. I want the controversy. But that's okay. Um, so I'm going to agree with Beyonce, first person that came to mind. Um, cause, and obviously, she is, she's iconic already. Um, and the amount of people who try to bite off of her, I'm not even going to say their names, um, that don't want to give her credit or don't want to acknowledge her um, iconicness, if you will. Um, so absolutely Beyonce, um, because she's also more than just about music. Like that's where her roots are, but she's about fashion. She's about the visual. She's about, um, the community and showing up for the community and giving back. And I think those all are things that contribute to her, um, for the culture. Um, this next one is going to be slightly random. Um, but I think she's got something great going, but she just, I don't know if she doesn't have the PR or if she's still independent. I'm not quite sure, but I, I love her sound and what I hear her talk about, which is Andre Day. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't, cause she's got this kind of like slightly rasp, raspy kind of crispy um, 
1950s vibrato going, which is kind of a little bit all over the place, but I love it. Um, and I also love like the words in her music and I don't tend to always listen to words, um, but I, she seems to come from a real soul place and I want to see her like stay independent, but also get really big. Cause I think she's got a lot to say, excuse me, a lot to say. And that would be great to see on the mainstream. Um, all right. So that was a game for the culture. Maybe I'll think of a few more on a different episode. Cause there's lots of things that can be done um, and communicated. Cause I didn't even get into like, what's the drink right now? What's your actor or actress? So <laughs> maybe you can do a part two in the next episode. All right, because I have like five more. Okay, so we'll do a part two. All right, so we are going to um, quickly just go into Ask a Boss. Um, we weren't going to skip that for this episode. So please remember to email us any questions, any thoughts, any pieces of advice that you're seeking to headbosspodcast at gmail.com. All right, so this question is not from the inbox. This is from, um, and I have worked uh on a, in a number of cities, so I know a number of folks. So um, this is not one in particular, um, but we're just going to call this person Morton. Um, the question is, my colleague keeps throwing people under the bus in, sub, in subtle yet really, really obvious ways. What are some ways I can respond in real time when it happens? Oh, that's hard because I'm really, I'm really bad at doing things in real time. Um, I, okay, a quick thing that just came to mind is, I guess one of my pet peeves is like when, uh, in a work setting, when folks um, are responding to how they responded, like talk about you, just mm -hmm. frame the response in terms of you. Don't bring in Susan. Don't bring in <laughs> Bill. Don't bring in Peter. Just say how you did it. I don't care what other people did. Talk about you. So in that moment, I would just say, um, can can I can we just re -qu uh, quickly reframe the response? Tell us what you did. You know, mm. um, we'll let Susan speak for herself. Just really quickly. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, at first, I want to acknowledge that sometimes it is hard to do that response real time because there's like from if to make it about me, as you just stated, um, you I don't want to be non-contributing to the conversation, but I also don't want to contribute to throwing somebody under the bus, especially if they're not there to kind of speak on their own behalf. So it is hard um, because you don't know how the other person's going to respond when you say whatever you're going to say. Right. Um, but I would agree. Um, and I don't know that I've actually had to do this. Um, I have certainly been in situations where I didn't know what to say and it was like a group of people. And then we all sit there awkwardly, like, um, how do we, move? and then we change the subject as equally awkward. Um, but one thing I've had said before is that I've been like, well, that person's not here to kind of say their piece or whatever. So if you want to invite them in for the next conversation, perhaps we can do that and they can kind of share their perspective of how they approached X, Y, and Z. And the like two or three times that, that I've said that, they ain't going to invite the person in because then they would know that you were talking shit about them. Um, but offering that as a, we're not going to focus on this person who's not here to speak on their own behalf. Um, and so what can we do right here, right now? Right. Um, 
and I, this particular scenario is quite relatable uh, for me. And it's uncomfortable. It's, it's really awkward. Well, because then I think like, well, what shit do you say about me when I'm not in the room? You know? Um, so yeah, talk about uncomfortable or, or uh, not awkward, but I like your reframing it to say like, what, what is your experience? Or can you talk from your perspective um, where they're bringing in, who'd you, who'd you say? Peter, Sarah? Oh, Susan. Oh. Susan. <laughs> okay. Um, Susan can speak for herself. Yeah. Jill, reframe the question. <laughs> Why are you giving me specific names? Because I already know where you are. I see Susan and see Jill right now in my head. Um, <laughs> as well as Peter, excuse me. Um, oh, and don't forget about Tom. Um, <laughs> um, oh, gosh. But I won't say any more because they're not here to speak for themselves. Right, right. Um, so that's, uh, that's our question for this week. So that's a little tidbit. Hopefully that's helpful. Um, if you find yourself in that situation again, Morton. <laughs> Great. Uh, remember again, um, email us your questions at headblastpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be right back. Boss-ass bitch and bitch-ass boss of the week. Uh, Shamina, you go first. Yeah. So I've got two bitches, and I may chime in on your, what you have as your, uh, I think, a bitch. Um, first one is, so Little Richard, um, you know who Little Richard is? Like <laughs> yeah. Tutti Frutti and et cetera. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah, I say no that way. as the example. Um, so he recently went on like a Christian network um, in the last maybe uh, month or so and said that he's no longer gay, and he says that it is unnatural, and that um, God created men as men and women as women. Um, Little Richard is, <laughs> okay, let me, let me focus. Little Richard is like 80, somewhere in his 80s, right? And I can't, I can't see on the article, I'm looking at a slightly different article. Um, but basically, he is touching death's door. And so I think we see this sometimes a lot when people are like, quote unquote, living in their last days, um, where they turn around and, and they have a change of mind in terms of like their faith and how their faith has affected them. Um, so uh, I hate to do this to an old person and um, bitch to him for all of a sudden, after all these years, um, being like, I'm no longer gay. And I was like, well, first of all, and nobody checking for you generally. So are you mad about that? Um, again, I hate to do it to old people. And um, uh, I think he, th- this is an opinion he could possibly have kept to himself. Um, but yeah, so bitch to him for that, um, for saying all of those things. And we'll, I'll link, uh, make sure that we link the, the, this particular article. To, of course, it's on pinknews.com um, <laughs> in the show notes. But I was just like, really, little Richard? Like, you could have just gone out gracefully instead of trying to be in the limelight, you know, at the end. But whatever. Um, and then, uh, bitch to this, and this one just, uh, came out. So I think it just happened, um, this weekend. Um, the, uh, white supremacists, 
um, in Charlottesville, again, went to Emancipation Park with their tiki torches. They were there for about 15 minutes. I, I don't have the, I haven't been able to find anything of what they actually said during that time, but it was, um, and I'm not going to give their names, but it's basically the white supremacists um, that have gone back and are talking about they're going to keep going back until um, they leave that, um, that statue um, alone that's in Emancipation Park in Charlottesville, North Carolina. Or no, I'm sorry, Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, so they are coming back. Uh, it's General Robert E. Lee, um, that statue that's there, that was their, their, their reason for being there the first time. Um, and so this is the third time that they have been there, the second time with torches. Um, and bitch to the initial news outlet that said white activists. And I was like, these are white supremacists. Like, yeah. let us be real clear on this. Um, especially as the FBI has fucking erroneously started to be like black identity extremists are now being targeted by the FBI um, for their activity. And I was like, when is the last time the Black Lives Matter movement, because that's really what it's about, has come out with anything um, that isn't true, number one, and that has been violent. Um, I can't think of a single time besides defending the people who have been needlessly killed by uh, white supremacists, um, uh, members of law enforcement with no sort of backing or reason or rationale, and damn near all of them, if not all of them, have gotten off scot-free. So don't get me started on that. But that just happened this weekend. So of course, we didn't think that that was going to go away. These white supremacists um, that are not white activists, um, based clearly on their rhetoric of things that they say. Um, so bitch to both uh, Little Richard and the white supremacists in um, Charlottesville that just this recently came um, through again with their torches um, into Emancipation Park, Park in Charlottesville, Virginia. So bitch. All right. Uh, well, I have a bitch, and um, I just feel the need to talk about the tragedy that happened mm -hmm. uh, right now, exactly a week ago, um, when this recording will get posted, um, in Las Vegas, uh, where uh, this 60-year-old, 60-something-year-old a uh, white man um, had a bunch of unnecessary rifles and guns and equipment in his hotel room and just went on a shooting spree at this uh, concert. Um, it was a country concert, I believe. Um, it was a festival. Um, and nearly 60 people died. Hundreds and hundreds, uh, hundreds of people got injured. And I, it's like deja vu. It's like you can almost pinpoint how it respond, how we respond from like government reaction to societal reaction to everything. It's like, okay, so then this happens and it triggers the news and then the whole controversy about guns and laws, mental health. Oh, if it, this person was a Muslim, then, you know, was religious and... Um, where's Al-Qaeda? Where's ISIS? Yeah, it, it's just like the same thing over and over again. Send your thoughts and prayers. Oh, thoughts and prayers are nothing. Do action. Like, <laughs> it's the same <laughs> thing over and over. And I don't understand how... This is how you define insanity. Mm -hmm. Like, when you do the same thing over and over and over and expect still ex expect the same results. That's what our country is doing. Our country, the motherland, is literally going insane. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I don't know as a professional, as someone who um, is working to help change the young minds and send them out to the real world, I don't know what I can do anymore. My, my job, the thing that I get very, that I get paid for every day, I don't even know how that's helping society anymore. Um, I just don't know. I, I, my bitch is just going to um, many things. It's going to the government. It's going to white supremacists. It's going to um, ignorant assholes. Mm-hmm. It's going, it, it's a bitch to guns. It's a bitch yeah. to anything. Um, I, I, I just think it's, it's sad that we keep repeating this over and over. And it's like, it, every every incident, we're outdoing each other. It's like, oh, the biggest uh, mm-hmm. mass shooting ever. I thought we would stop at Orlando. Like, my heart, oh my gosh, I was, I, I can't even define, like, my mental state in my heart when that happened. And to think that something's crushing that again, it's like, how many times can you beat a dead horse? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's what it's doing to me right now. Yeah. Well, there's, it's so, I think one of the continually disheartening things is that they're like, now is not the time to make it political. And I'm like, well, we don't do political shit when, when in the few weeks or months in between these mass shootings. So when is, when is there going to be gun reform? Like, when are we actually going to start to do something about it? Because I'm all about the prayers and like for those who are hurting or were harmed, et cetera, um, unless it was self-inflicted. Um, but then when do we... When do we actually do something about it? I'm I'm floored that there was nothing done after the sand is that Sandy Hook with all the babies, like floored, like kids who had nothing to do with it. Not that anybody at this concert had anything to do with it, but kids, like we didn't do anything then. People were like this is not the time. Well, fucking, it, it, it ain't never gonna be the time. According to you, we're never gonna do anything about it. So, yeah. And don't even get me started on the not calling this man a, ter- a domestic terrorist. I don't give a fuck what his favorite flavor of ice cream was. I really don't. Oh, he listened to country music. So? I don't care. I don't care. Stop trying to humanize this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to end on such this. Like, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, by the time you listen to this, I'm sure all of you have heard many things about it have formed your opinions, but I, I mean, I can't go without, you know, record an episode without mentioning it, you know, it's, um, and I, I, even though I pretty much don't have any hope left, (laughs) I mean, all I can really hope for is to continue living my life and not letting this scare me, continue doing my job, which is to empower people to, get them to, you know, believe in the power of education and send them off to the world so they can change people mm-hmm. and um, hope that we can recover from this. Yeah. Well, I think you and I both share in sending out condolences to the folks who were affected by this. And I think because there were so many people and they're from California, and I think I, I'm like two degrees away from a few folks who were either injured or lost their life in this, like, it does suck. Um, and sometimes prayer is what people hold on to as a person who prays. Like, um, so I don't, I don't want to do the, like, it's not like throw your prayers away. And I was like, because that, that's what people have to hold on to sometimes. And it, when you're hurting that, that's, 
that I think faith kind of comes out in people in different ways. So I think we both probably share in sending condolences because it, it sucks as a whole. Like, let's not pretend like those people don't matter um, because they did and they do. So. And sorry, just a quick thing about the prayers, because I also want to say a bitch to the people who say the thoughts and prayers don't work. Yeah. Let me, let me, I, you know, I'm not a religious person. I'm, I mean, I came from a religious family, but to, to the very base level, to someone who I believe in a higher power, but okay. To the base level, I, I, thoughts and prayers, if anything, even if you don't believe thoughts and prayers don't send good energy out to the people who are affected, mm-hmm. thoughts and prayers have a, 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 a wonderful thing for the self and the mm-hmm. mental health of an individual. We live in a fucked up world. Thoughts and prayers is a way of self-meditation. It's a way to center ourselves and focus the energy to be positive so that we can continue to fight and continue to live in this world where there's tragedy every day. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't be criticizing people who, like, I know you believe in action and those people will do action, but we can't do action until we take care of ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Nothing, no sad, that was great. I appreciate that at the end. Thanks. All right, so we are going to um, end the episode. Uh, please remember to follow us on all our social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, email us any questions at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. And um, please uh, interact with us on all our forms of social media. And also leave us reviews, comments. We want to know how we're doing. All right, um, that's it. Peace out. All right, peace.